Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening and welcome to Amplify, a telephone talk show that looks at life from a religious perspective. I'm Father Ron Lingwin, hoping you have felt the warmth of God's love in your life this day, especially the joy you feel you experience when you share God's love with others. As we do each week, I begin the program with a story that is based on faith and form with imagination. Tonight's story is titled Jesus Visits His Mother Unannounced. It's taken from the book titled Stories of Jesus, a Gospel of Faith and Imagination. Jesus came home unannounced to visit his mother. He had been away for a while and came alone. As he drew near, he stopped and looked at the house where he was raised, where his mother and father had cared for him and loved him. A mixture of sadness and joy welled up within his heart at the same time. It seemed so long since he was a child. He longed to return to those days when his life was much simpler and happier. His eyes caught sight of his mother as she sat crushing the grains of wheat to make bread. She didn't see her son and seemed to be unaware of the many noises coming from the street. Jesus looked up into the pure blue sky where there was peace and contentment, and then down at the street filled with filth and human suffering, one child calling out for his mother, another child crying in hunger, an old man struggling to carry a heavy jar of water. When he entered the house, joy filled Mary's heart, showing through her eyes in the warmth of love stronger than the sun filled her whole being as Jesus hugged and kissed her. Mother, he said, my son, my son, my son, Mary repeated. They sat down together and began to tell each other what they had been doing. As they shared the bread she had baked earlier, she noticed she was growing, he noticed, he noticed she was growing old and tired. Gentle lines were appearing on her face. "'What are you staring at, my son?' she asked. "'At you, mother?' "'Haven't you looked at me before?' she asked. "'Yes, mother, but I'm seeing you in a new light now that I am grown.' "'Is it a good light or a bad light, my son?' she said, laughing. "'Mother, you're making fun, and I am serious. "'I see you as I have never seen you before.' I spend many nights alone now thinking of how you loved and cared for me and so many of our friends. When I was hurt in body or spirit, you comforted me. When I was cold, 
you warmed me with your body by drawing me close to you. When I was frightened, you held me and wiped my tears away with your cloak. There were also times when we got angry at each other, and, oh, how I remember that look of yours, that disappointing look. Sometimes I find myself looking at people that way. I also remember how silent you became at times and would not talk to anyone. That both hurt and angered me, but I soon realized you were teaching me an important lesson. And so, when I pray to the Heavenly Father and ask for an answer but get only silence, I am able to bear the frustration better. I also remember the many times you held me for no reason at all and poured out your love on me. A mother's love is so special, shared already with a child in the womb. Mary didn't move. Even her eyelashes didn't flicker. Woman, woman, Jesus said, you are special not only in my eyes, but in the eyes of all men, women, and children, in the eyes of my Father and in the heavens. You are a source of comfort to hold us in our joy or sorrow, in life and death. You shall never be forgotten, for truly you are the mother of us all. Only then did Mary begin to speak. But I am only the mother of, do not speak, mother. Many times, silence is a gift. I know I have been given to you, and the time will come when you will be given to the world. A story of faith and imagination. And our guest this evening writes in the beginning of his latest book titled, History's Queen, Exploring Mary's Pivotal Role from Age to Age. She seems very ordinary and smaller than he expected, yet there is nothing frail about her. If he had to pick one word, it would be gentle. Every follower of the way who passes through Ephesus pays her a visit. She always has time for them. But would she have time for this? Would she have time to sit for hours while he captures her image for the sake of the many who would never be able to see her in person? Of course she would. She always has time. His friend Paul had told him, and he was right. Here he is in the tiny house she shares with John, and she has all day for him. So Luke sits down with his tools and a big block of wood, and as he carves, she begins to tell him the story. Every word of it burns itself into his memory. Quote, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, close quote. The tradition that St. Luke was an artist, as well as a writer, is very old. We don't know how old, but it was already ancient in the 700s when the great controversy about icons erupted in Constantinople. In the east, there are several famous painted icons attributed to St. Luke. In the west, where Christians used images in three dimensions, there is one famous image that will reappear throughout our story, a statue of the Virgin Mary and child. Are traditions true? They may be. They may not be. But like all such ancient traditions, they tell us a very important truth about what people believed. In this case, they show us that Christians have always had 
an instinctive response when they hear the gospel according to Luke, and it has been a response of Marian piety. From the earliest days of the church, the fathers believed that Mary's role was in the mind of God even before the creation of Eve and was significant throughout the Old Testament and in the created world. Our guest this evening and the writer of those words is Michael Aquilina. Michael is a Catholic author, speaker, poet, and songwriter who serves as executive vice president of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. He is a contributing editor to Angelus News, and his podcast, Way of the Fathers, releases twice monthly at catholicculture.org. Aquilina is the author of editor more than 60 books. That's right, 60 books, including the Reclaiming Catholic History series, which won a first-place award from the Catholic Press Association in 2020, and for which Aquilina wrote The Church and the Roman Empire, 301 to 490, his book, A History of the Church in 100 Objects, also earned a CPA award in 2018. Michael Aquilino, welcome to Amplify. Hey, thanks for having me back, Father Ron. Well, it seems so different. I, I think every time you've been on for the many years, you're my, you've got to be my oldest guest, one of the oldest, <laughs> maybe of two. I think we've always done them in person, and tonight we didn't do it because of the coronavirus. That's right. That's right. We're casualties, I guess, in a sense. But uh, but we'll do we'll do what we can with the telephones. <laughs> yes, we can. It's always nice to look at one another because our yeah. eyes speak to one another while yeah. the other person is talking. The other thing that is significant that we will be the last live local program on KDKA before it begins its 100th anniversary tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. There is wow, li- there's, that there's, is something cool. There is live programming on at uh, after this program's over at 11 o'clock, and then there's overnight programming. But we're the last local programming on KDKA. And for me, that means uh, I've been on the air here for 45 years, approaching 46. And so it's not quite half, but uh, how wonderful, what a powerful, beautiful station, what this yes. station has meant to, to so many people and an important station in world history. Uh, yes. Um, and and today is an important day in church calendar. And tomorrow, before we begin to talk about Mary, tell us a little bit about All Saints Day and All Souls Day. Mm. Well, November is the month that the church traditionally devotes to, to um, the memory of the dead. And this was very important to the early Christians. Memory, that we don't let these people go, that we don't write them off, that we don't think that they're out of our lives. And the church in the early, in the early centuries had this keen uh, awareness of the presence of the dead. And so, so this, this manifested in a couple ways. One is, is uh, that, that the people who were left behind here in this life um, continued to pray for their dead, to remember them, especially on the anniversary of their death every year, and, um, and to pray um, for their purification, because the Church has believed in that purification after death since the, since the earliest years. 
So that's one way. The other way um, that it manifested was in the veneration of the saints, uh, especially the martyrs. In the early century of the, centuries of the Church, the martyrs were revered as those who already shared the presence of God. We can see that in the book of Revelation. We can see that in the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament. There's, this, there's, um, there's a belief in these documents that, um, that, uh, that, that the, the dead who die this way who give their lives for Christ, are already there at their death um, in the presence of God immediately. And so, so there was veneration of these individuals in the church, uh, the, the martyrs, and that's, that's evident in many of the documents of, of the early Christians. So, um, so there was an intense belief that, uh, that, that our dead are not distant from us. And I think that most Christians continue to have that um, even today, uh, and and they they don't always know how to articulate it, but but when they lose someone close to them, they they know that this person is near to them. They they continue even to to have a relationship with them. I've known people who continue to have conversations with a with a a, a, a beloved spouse yes. for years after after death. And you uh, won't let us forget either, will you? You want us to remember uh, the church and and especially in its history and how what it taught in those early years and and how that uh, has evolved over to our very day. I believe that's a service we need right now because because there is kind of a, a campaign against historical remembrance. Uh, we we want to we want the past to go away. We want we don't want to be reminded because because it's a mixed record really. All of our heroes had flaws, and all of their flaws are, are embarrassing and painful. Uh, we can't deal with this, this lack of purity in our ancestors, because it really forces us to consider ourselves and our own impurities and, and uh, wondering what our sins are. This is a painful process that history always calls us to, but we as Christians belong to an historical religion. We, we can mark the, the important dates of, um, of, of our faith on a timeline, and we can point to a particular place on earth where they took place. It's real history. So I think it's, it's essential for us as Christians, to remember the past, uh, to rehearse the past, to consider it, to ponder it, to meditate upon it, and learn from it. Uh, and that's, that's, a, that's a large part of, um, of my mission in life, I think, is, is just devoting myself to, uh, to reminders, just little reminders of what our ancestors have done and done for us in particular. And when we talk about our ancestors, we can go all the way back uh, to uh, the apostles, who were who were not perfect at all, and <laughs> yes. neither have been uh, a number of of the popes, and mm -hmm. we can go right up to we ourselves are not perfect, but it says a whole lot about humanity and our relationship with God, and how how we still can become what God created us to be, to, despite all of the sin that's intervened since the beginning of creation. The saints give us hope. They really do, because we, we know their flaws. They confessed their flaws. They confessed the flaws sacramentally, but a lot of them even confessed their flaws publicly in, in their letters to, to one another and in their, uh, their public testimony and their sermons. So we can see it. You know, we can see that God works with, uh, with, with damaged goods like me. And, well, let's, let's begin to talk about uh, Mary and... Uh, in the very beginning of your book, 
um, you exp- you explain that a mother is is always there. Um, physically, we carry a part of our mother with us, and you point out that evolutionary biologists can shop all living beings, can trace all living beings and their ancestry to one single ancestor. So why did you begin this way, that uh, the importance of a mother is always there? Because that's, uh, that, that's a true, <laughs> true statement. It's something I experienced. Now, my mom has been gone since 2011, but I, I still know her presence in so many ways. She's, she's so much of the little voice I hear inside my head because she was the one who first taught me the, the, the most practical things about life, you know, how to stand up and how to carry myself. She taught me good manners. Uh, you know, she gave me moral advice, and, uh, and she, she was cross with me if I, if I didn't do the right thing, and she let me know. So, so a lot of my memory, uh, a lot of my morals, a lot of my my manners are 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 just plain things that I I got from mom one way or another. Um, so, so it's a true statement I think that we we carry our mothers within us. Uh, uh, in terms of our DNA, that's certainly true. You know that that uh, that that um, that that we we carry their genetic material forward. Um, and uh, and as I said in the book, you know, you can trace all of us, all of our uh, back. You can trace all of us back to a common ancestor, and that's called mitochondrial Eve. The scientists call her, and she would be the mother of all the living. Well, well, um, this is the way a mother behaves, and Mary was given to us as our mother when Jesus was on the cross. It was his last will and testament. He turned to his beloved disciple, who is not named. He turned to his beloved disciple and he said, "Behold your mother." And and he turned to Mary, his mother, and he said, "Behold your son." And this was an important moment. You know, Jesus is our brother, and he's pointing out to us, "Hey, if we're brothers, if we're brothers, if we're siblings, we have a common mother. This is what it means to live in the family of God." And so many other ways um in the gospel we see her living out that maternal role. And what I want to point out in my book, History's Queen, is that she continues to play out that maternal role in every age in history, but in different ways. It's always something different. Uh, She surprises us. Right. And so you believe that at our deepest level, we can know Mary like our own mother. Yes. Yes. And that's what Jesus intends us. That's what Jesus intends for us when he gives gives her to us as mother. I love the fact that she plays such a prominent role in the Gospels. Uh, it, at the beginning of the New Testament, we, we encounter her um, with the wise men. So there we are, the Gentiles, and we make our way following the star because we know that there's a great king to be born, and he's going to save us. So we go, and where do we find the king? St. Matthew tells us, so carefully, so clearly, he records that detail that they found the Messiah with Mary, his mother. And then we go to St. John's Gospel, the other end of the Gospels, and we, we see Mary again at the beginning, at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, and she even advances the moment of his public mm-hmm. ministry. He knows that she wants a favor from him. And, and he says, woman, my hour has not yet come, and yet he does what she wants anyway. He, he, he makes his, his, um, his public appearance as Messiah for the first time, 
in spite of its um, of its inopportune moment. Uh, you know, it wasn't the time he had planned, but he does it anyway because of the prayer of his mother, because of of the request of his mother. So as all through the Gospels, and and of course you mentioned earlier, St. Luke's Gospel, in which Mary plays a major speaking role. So so she's she's all through the Gospels. She appears again in St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians, and uh, and then she's there in a starring role in the book of Revelation. So the New Testament really does present her as a mother. And we can there's a lot that we can learn about her from Jesus' crucifixion as you as you just a mention of Jesus from the cross. We don't hear much about her until Pentecost. Uh, St. Paul has a lot to say about her in his letter to the Galatians and yes. mentioned even in the book of, of Revelation. Let me read us out to our, our, first, our first break. Okay. Um, you write in your book, she knows exactly who her son is and what he is capable of. When she says, do whatever he tells you, and we might well call that Mary's motto, she knows that Jesus is capable of doing something to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And she knows that he will, he will do it because she asked him to do it. She has absolute faith in his divine nature, and she has absolute faith in his love for his human mother and she is willing to call upon that help, love to help her friends. Welcome back to Amplify, where our guest is uh, Mike Aquilina. We're talking about his latest book, History's Queen, exploring Mary's pivotal role from age to age. And I can assure you that every time the Mike has been here, usually he has a notepad with him, and he would have written down some points he wanted to get to. <laughs> But uh, I'm doing, I'm, and I would be doing the same thing. But again, we talk to one another with our, with our, with our eyes. You make the point in your book uh, that uh, Christians were already relying on the merciful intercession of the Mother of God, and uh, you, 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 you talk about one of the most remarkable letters of the three hundreds about Mary. Uh, the idea of Mary as Mother of God was becoming more and more important in Christian thought. But you want to point out, as Ambrose did, that when we honor Mary, we're not adoring her. Mary was not the God of the temple. And you write, the Virgin Mary is our guarantee that Jesus really was human. And therefore, that human flesh was, in a sense, made divine by Christ. And this, in turn, is our guarantee that the Holy Spirit is also God, and also to be worshipped, because Christ, Christ was born of a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit. So tell us a little bit more about what we can learn. What does it mean to speak of the seed of a woman? She's the only mother in history to have a son without a human father. The Old Testament you write is full of images that point to the coming of Christ. What did early Christians think of Mary? <laughs> well, we could do several shows on that because she was very, very important to the early Christians. You know, we've pointed out already how important she was in the Gospels, especially Matthew, Luke, and John, and to St. Paul when he tells the story of the Gospel in the, his letter to the Galatians. And then again, in that visionary scene in chapters 11 and 12 in the book of Revelation, well, all of that interest in Mary continued immediately after um, the generation of the Apostles. 
novels, we find a continued interest in um, the so-called apocryphal books that, that appear. These are often devotional works, works of faith and imagination, um, and they appear in various places. Uh, around 70 AD, there appears um, uh, a text called the, the Ascension of Isaiah, and it, it, um, it comes out in Egypt, and it's, it's a Christian text. And it, it, it defends the, um, the, the virginal conception of Jesus and Mary's virginal birth of the Messiah. So, so already at that time, we can see that, uh, that there are attacks on, on these truths happening, um, and the Church is suffering them. So there's an apologetic response in this document. Um, in, in 107 AD, we find St. Ignatius of Antioch writing letters, and in those, he tells us, that certain things about the virginal conception and the virgin birth were kept secret from from the the dark angels who would who would do um, you know who would wish harm upon our our Lord and upon the Holy Family, uh, and this continues in the early years of the 100s. Uh, an important document came out. It's it's another one of these apocryphal texts. And it's called the Gospel of Mary. Now, later, um, later manuscripts were titled the the Protoevangelium of James, and it's in, and you can still read it today. You can read it online or in many different books. But it's it's a it's um it purports to be a record of Mary's childhood and her growing up, and then her marriage and uh, and and the birth of Jesus. It's an important document, not because it records history but because it tells us something about the devotion of Christians in the very early years of the 100s, in the very early 2nd century. So, so this, is, this is an early moment in, in uh, Christian history, and we can see that there was an intense curiosity about the Blessed Mother, so much so that people wanted to buy this book. It became a Christian bestseller in those years before the printing press. So in those years, if you wanted a book, you had to pay a lot of money for it, mm. you know, because they all had to be copied out by hand. And also, you were risking your life by owning it, because Christianity was illegal. So we're not even to the year 120, and we see there's a lot of evidence of Christian devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And as you point out, it's, it's essentially different from our adoration of God. This is the kind of devotion we give to another human being, and we, re we, we just recognize her as the greatest of human beings because she bore the Messiah into the world. We honor many human beings. I honor my mom, as I did earlier in the show. But we give this special devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and we adore only God. And you, you point out that um, civilization was uh, struggling to survive between the years 600 and and 800, and um, you speak of her as the protector of Byzantium, uh, noting that Muhammad in the year 610 claimed to hear messages from God and believe that both Christianity and Judaism had corrupted true religion, and yet Mary still has an honored place in Islam, doesn't mm -hmm. she? Well, yes. I, I, I mean, so many of those those nations that were first invaded by the Arabs um, were Christian nations, and so I, I, I believe that this this um, vestige of Christian devotion uh, 
was kind of essential for the for the survival of Islam to keep the fire burning, so to speak. People were not willing to give up their devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. You know, they uh, they 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 would not let that go. And and I think that uh, that it's quite possible possible that uh, that the earliest generations of Islam recognized that. Um, but yes, there 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 continues to be that that honor paid to the Blessed Virgin Mary um, even today in Islam. As I began the program, I read from the beginning of your book, History's Queen, uh, and tell us the story about the. Um, this is with written within the. This is happening within the Dark Ages. Tell us the story about the dark faced statue of the Virgin and Child, uh, thought to be carved by Saint Luke himself, and what's to become of the. What was to become of the treasures of the church? Well, as you pointed out before, we don't have uh, we don't have good records of this kind of thing. But there is a tradition; it seems to be kind of legendary that um, that this this uh, this statue that was carved by Saint Luke um, was given by Pope Gregory the Great uh, to to the Christians in Spain, and that they preserved it there. Um, and that when Spain itself was invaded by the Arabs, that the uh, the Christians in Spain. Uh, hid the statue by burying it, and it only was discovered many years later uh, in the Middle Ages uh, by by um, by a cowboy, Hill Cordero, um, and uh, and and then it was exposed once again for for honor, for veneration. Um, it it. Uh, it, it, it was um, it was found in a place called Guadalupe in Spain, and uh, and so it it w- became known as the Virgin of Guadalupe. Now, as time went on, it, you know, the, the Blessed Virgin appears to Juan Diego in Mexico in the the newfound uh, Americas, and. Um, and uh and 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 he asks her name and she identifies herself as as um as our lady of guadalupe um so so there's a certain continuity that happens there a certain continuity uh that that goes from the times of the gospel to the time of gregory the great to uh to the time of the muslim invasion of europe uh and then and then it continues into the middle ages the discovery of the new world and later on the the uh, repulsing of the um of the attempted invasion at, at lepanto and we could talk about the 600 years old statue of the blessed virgin mary that was uh, perfectly uh Preserved there's so many things, um, and uh, you talked about how um, people began to pray the hours, the uh, the monks of the hours of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and uh, I left the seminary, uh, wow, 55 years ago. Well, no, I left there in 1960, where we used to pray uh, that every 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 Sunday and every day sometimes. You write that to understand Mary as medieval Christians imagined her, says the medievalist Rachel Fulton Braun, one has to understand everything. She is there in the art and the architecture and the music. She is there in the literature and the liturgy and the liberal arts. She is there in the most elevated expressions of human imagination and in the humblest prayers for help. She is there in the politics and in the ideals of marriage, in battle cries and in pleas for mercy for the oppressed. Medieval Christianity is inconceivable without her, is 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 the quote. And, and you point out that we teach people to recognize Christ 
through the lens of their culture. Yes, yes, it, it, it's interesting. Um, uh, the the American medievalist uh, Henry Adams was a, was agnostic, but he recognized that that um, Mary was the engine of um, of medieval culture in a way that only the an actual engine was the uh, the the the, uh, the driving force in in our culture. That we had a very mechanistic view of the world. That we we put technology at the center and the power that was gained through technology. But Mary seemed to have a greater cultural power than technology could produce. And he looked back wistfully to the Middle Ages and saw that 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 age was able to produce great cathedrals and and uh, and stunning artworks and that we seemed to be falling apart. You know, Mary does humanize as she gives power to all of these things. She makes us more perfectly human because she's a mother. This is what a mother does. As I said earlier, my mother taught me my manners. She taught me my religion. She taught me even the basics of mathematics. She taught me to count, and she taught my, me my letters. Mary wants to bring us up and to raise us up as good children of God. And... Uh... You write that uh, Mary pervaded the intellectual life of the scholars and the daily life of aristocracy. She was most at home, though, almost um, among ordinary people like herself. And from those ordinary people came a devotion still enormously popular today. For many people, in fact, it's the very symbol of Catholic devotion, the rosary. Mm, yes. It emerges in the Middle Ages, uh, and it's really it really emerges at a time when it's needed uh, to combat a heresy that's arising in France. It's coming from the East, and it and it takes a dim view of of creation of the human body, and so it it really takes a dim view of the incarnation of our Lord. It it it's something that that um that demotes the the miracle of the incarnation, and um and so so so. So great saints like Dominic started promoting the rosary, and it overcame the heresy. Um, uh, it, it, it's 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 interesting to know uh, that that those early years of rosary sodalities and 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 uh, and so many other ways that the the um, the devotion was spread um, really w were an advancement in um, in in the devotion to Jesus Christ. People wanted to keep keep Mary's station with her, to be with her, and to, to meditate on the events in our Lord's life and see them through her eyes, because she was up close. Nobody gets closer than she does. And she was looking, looking on him with understanding and tender emotion, uh, unlike his, his disciples, who were often uncomprehending and bewildered and even hostile to his message in a couple of cases. Mary was always there saying, do whatever he tells you, and, um, and, and acknowledging the reality of his origins, his, uh, his authority on earth. And uh, in a chapter titled, The Plague and the Pieta, um, when you're talking about the plague in the 1300s, and you, you write, in our age of medical silence, science, we can't even form an image of what the Great Plague was like. It would sweep into a city, and in days, half the population would be dead. Yes. Over and over, we read accounts of bodies piled up in the streets, whole households wiped out, and villages in the countryside completely abandoned. 
The records of the time confirm an unimaginable catastrophe. Whole towns disappear from the map in some places. And so uh, in some places you point out everyone died within days, almost a 90% mortality rate, and that estimates vary from one to two-thirds of Europe. And what happens? A stricken Europe grieved and turned to Mary. How is that? Well, it's interesting what we see then. We see the emergence of this image of the Pietà. Now, we're all familiar with Michelangelo's Pietà, but that came at a later moment in history, uh, and it was really a development of these earlier images. But, but at that time, when everyone was grieving, everyone was suffering loss, what they did was they, they, uh, they went to Mary, and they, they knew there that she would have sympathy with them. They knew that they would encounter someone who had grieved someone who had suffered such a loss. And the image for them to meditate on was the Pietà, the grieving mother holding the body, the dead body, the lifeless body of her son. And this swept Europe. Suddenly you see this in all the countries of Europe because people sought that sympathy and they, they could see it in, um, in, in, the, in the statue. And so you write a world in love with Mary had fallen even more deeply into love with her. Mm -hmm. It seemed that the devil had dug his claws into the world, but Mary was there to help snatch us out of his grip. She could console us when nothing else could, even more than before Christendom turned to the rosary. What does that say to you about our, our own age? We're not comparing it to the, to the, to the Great Plague at this particular time, uh, but... Um, we're 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 having very difficult times throughout the world right now. Sure, you know when we read history, history uh, appears to us as a, a, a sequence of crises. You know, there's there, there's always something looming. There's always something threatening, and and there 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 come those moments when you do feel that way. You do feel as if the devil suddenly gets a tight grip on everything, and uh, and it's a it's a frightening moment. It's a scary moment. And in all of those times, people, Christian people, have found a way to seek their mother's help. And they have found Mary to be, as one saint put it, infallible in her intercession. Infallible in her intercession. That's the lesson of the wedding feast at Cana, that even though it was not our Lord's moment, he advanced his time for her sake. This is an important lesson to us that God himself wanted us to know, and that's why he inspired its inclusion in Scripture. Every, of, every one of those scenes that we, we've, we find of Mary in the New Testament is, is put there for the sake of our salvation. Those scenes are put there so that we'll learn from them. We'll learn to find Mary. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll learn to find Jesus in the arms of Mary, as the Magi did. We'll learn to approach Jesus through the intercession of his mother, as the, as the, the, wedding, the wedding guests at Cana did. And, uh, and then we'll know, uh, we'll know her help. We'll know her maternal assistance. And you uh, write that uh, it was a time for drastic changes, changes that the people who made them imagined as a return to the classical splendors of ancient Rome and Greece. And so mm -hmm. what were the drastic changes that took place? 
Well, then we're talking about the Renaissance, when people thought they were going to reach back in history and renew the world by going to a time before Christ and to go back to to the uh, the kind of learning that was conducted in uh, in in. In, among the ancients, and uh, and there was a great revival of it. But what's interesting is that um, is that that Christians really do kind of take hold of this, and uh, and they're able to steer it toward good ends, and um, and and really accomplish things that the ancients were never able to accomplish. Modern science is one of those things that that. It was it was a non-starter in the ancient cultures. Uh, so many people had scientific insights or obser- observations, and they were na- never able to develop them into into anything advanced. Um, that awaited Christianity because Christianity has this linear view of history. It has a strong sense of creation, and it has the 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 foundational belief that there's order in the universe that reflects the the reason of god so so a lot of the good that came out of the renaissance um came because of the christian difference so to speak do you um sense that kind of a uh, desire feelings uh in today's world oh yeah uh, to turn back to some of the classical splendors of ancient rome and greece well some people have it that's for sure you know there's there is a desire um uh, for, for something different from what we have, you know, so people do reach back, and sometimes they do it willy-nilly uh, in an almost random way, and they want to to grab on to things that they see in the ancient world. Um, so you'll find spiritualities that are really a lot of guesswork based on what people think they know about ancient Egyptian religion, and this is a dangerous thing to dabble with because we don't know what we're dealing with when we when we try that sort of thing um but uh but but in 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 christianity we we know i mean we have this this unbroken tradition going back to the first century um we have um the results of um of of christian influence in the world and and the lives of the saints and uh and we can we can see the proof um of the good that christianity brought to the world the good that that resulted in so many great ideas like human dignity, human rights, human equality, uh, even uh, lesser things like like battlefield ethics, all of these things that had never occurred to people before but were brought about because of Jesus Christ. Um, these are all gifts of Christianity to the world. We're forgetting that when we don't remember our history. And then sometimes that history isn't um, uh, doesn't go all the way back. Uh, as far as uh, Rome and Greece, but it may go back to uh, someone like uh, St. Pope John Paul II. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of young priests, for example, who refer to themselves as, as trads. And so there, there is a, uh, uh, a, a, a desire for uh, some, some of the things, teachings and the way we taught and things we did in the past. Yes, absolutely, and I, I, that that is a, a desire that's often um, uh, that that often pushes people back to times before their birth, and that's good. Mm-hmm. I I say, keep going, keep reading history, get to know the whole of the tradition, not just going back to the 1950s, not just going back to the 1920s, Mike, um, not just the, going back to Trent. Mike, hold that thought. We need to take a break. Okay. <laughs> 